Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. How are you? That was seamless. Uh, it's almost like we planned these things. We did not in this instance. Uh, <laughs> I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined as per my usual by Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams, also of the aforementioned Above the Law, to talk about the uh, weekly news in the law. But obviously, before we do that, we need to catch up and kind of seem like we're people folks like when they that we actually appear like humans yeah Yeah, people uh, people like that so uh, weird just to have that kind of kind of human touch i don't know (laughs) human talk for people listeners yes well i mean we need to do that to fool chat gpt that we're you know that, that we're real which brings us to the beginning of our small talk section uh chris how you feeling a lot better, uh, a lot Good. better. Um, as as the French say, I had the shits. Um, <laughs> I had some um, had some food poisoning last week, um, and it's a way to lose two pant sizes in a day. I don't rec- <laughs> not recommend. I don't recommend it. it. I don't. No, no. <laughs> this is not a pro and a podcast. That shit was horrible. <laughs> like, don't do it. Yeah, I'm 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 glad I can like eat solid meals again. Um, nice. It was rough for a bit. I got past the point where I don't have to be afraid of my farts anymore. I can trust that they're farts, you know? <laughs> God. Um, I think we need some sort of a warning on this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, so that hey, went, hey, you know, that went we way, start, dif- <laughs> way different than, yeah, it was really bad. I had to go to the hospital, but I'm feeling better now, which is kind of where oh, no, that, I thought that, that was going to go. No, that's, that's the private information. I'm just talking oh. about me shitting. Oh no! It's private because of HIPAA. Uh, yeah, so so that so that's good that you're alive, uh, yeah. and yeah, and all. So, Catherine, you okay? I'm I'm significantly better than all that. Mm. I almost feel bad, like complaining about like minor inconveniences after hearing that story. Yeah, no, I um, and I'm good. I I you know as you well, know, nobody I, asked. No. <laughs> <laughs> And that ends small talk. All right. Classic. Yeah. So what what are we talking about first here? There's a law firm in North Dakota that has been getting a lot of attention from one Joe Patrice. It has, uh, but not just me. It's also been getting attention from a lot of news outlets. Uh, This is... A law firm in North Dakota, we wrote about them originally a bit ago when the story that percolated up is that this is a law firm that had parted ways with two associates, uh, fired one, the other one had resigned to take a new job, and then sent them bills, uh, the firm did, saying they did not meet their minimum hourly quota and the firm wanted them to pay the firm their salary back for the that shortfall wild yeah so this is this is terrible yeah so this is terrible so when you now as it turns out uh, the north dakota supreme court has now kind of authorized this uh this business model uh because there was an agreement that they signed that the associates signed an employment agreement and nestled within said employment agreement was a provision that said that they could call for this. This is, uh, this firm's called Larson, Latham and Hootle, Hootle. 
I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, in North Dakota, they have this provision that said that they could go after shortfalls. So mm-hmm. as opposed to a normal situation where not making your hours might mean you don't get a bonus or, <laughs> or get fired <laughs> or potentially get fired, they go that one step better than firing people. And I put better in all the air quotes available of saying, well, we'll keep you on. And then at the end of the year, we'll uh, bill you for your salary back. And now, of course, this becomes an a, this only becomes a problem, as you might imagine, because I don't know if you remember 2020. Uh, I tried to not to remember it. That's that's so, so some things went down in particular. <laughs> it the beginning. went down. In particular, at the beginning of the year, there was this lockdown that really slowed down legal work. Uh, While most Mm -hmm. firms recovered on the back end and actually had kind of a banner year. And it kind of depends on what your mix of business is, for sure. But but there was definitely no work for a while. And a lot of people struggled with the idea of whether or not they were going to have to lay folks off and stuff like that. But this firm didn't, because this firm had built in a protection for themselves where they could just avoid having to train new people and force folks to keep being on the payroll. And if they didn't bill enough because the partners didn't bring in enough work, they were going to get paid anyway. Right. So the partners who are the only ones who are bringing in this work are prepared to get paid anyway because their own failure to generate <laughs> work, they could take out on the associate on the back end. Now, state Supreme Court agrees that this is what's in the document. I I, I do think... Putting aside whether or not this meets the state's definition of unconscionable or anything like that, I definitely think there was an uphill battle here given that the people involved were lawyers. It's a lot harder to say, hey, I, this is an unconscionable contract when you're an attorney and theoretically in a position to know what you're signing. And I think that became a problem. I don't know as though that should be the excuse, but I definitely think that was mm-hmm. a factual problem in the case for the, for the folks challenging this but that was something that that that's all true and it raises a question about what the better part of valor is because this is a few thousand dollars that the firm wants to get back and they did at the expense of everybody in the world knowing this firm's name uh and And not in a good way and no one thinks in a good publicity is good No one thinks in a good way. No one wants to work there anymore. Uh, Not that it's a huge legal market or anything, but if you have, if to the extent there's a talent pool in North Dakota, you have to imagine people are saying go anywhere, anywhere else. else, anywhere else. Yeah, because it also it's not just oh the actual sort of you don't make your hours, you owe them money, sort of consequence there. It's also, I think, deeply reflective of the sorts of folks that are running the firm. Right. And if this is what they're willing to do over, you know, literally a time when we were in the middle of a pandemic, who the hell knows what's next on there, what they're willing to do for whatever situation you find yourself in? Well, you know, here's the thing. So it would be great. Like, obviously, Times were tough, and I'm sure they had bills to pay and were nervous mm-hmm. about spending on this salary. So it would be great if there was a federal program, huh. for instance. During the pandemic? During the pandemic yeah. that, for instance, gave money In order to, to pay employers paychecks. to pay paychecks. Yeah. 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 That would and, be great. And then they wouldn't have had to worry about anything. Right, they just could have paid the paychecks. And then, you know, the chances that those loans will ultimately be forgiven by... As it turns out, yeah, uh, the high. PPP loans, which we're talking about, 
were largely forgiven. Uh, so this firm, as it turns out, took out $792,000 worth of PPP loans from the federal government for the express purpose of continuing to pay people's salaries. It got those forgiven, so it pocketed $792,000 of taxpayer funds. And then sued the associates to get back the salary. The money back on the argument that they weren't able to do the necessary work to earn the salary, even though the purpose of the PPP, as far as I could tell, is to pay people knowing that they aren't going to be able to produce for that. Maybe at the time that they signed up to get PPP, they did not expect to be clawing money back, or Mm -hmm. maybe they wouldn't have if these folks had not left mid-year or something, but I don't know. If you... It does, you, it does present uh, troubling facts. Well, yeah, because if say. you have in your employment agreement any provision that suggests you could get that money back, mm-hmm. it would make me nervous to then go to the federal government and say, I need money to pay this or else. Because Unless I you have were, no other there's out. some sort of an explicit waiver of that provision yeah. on your behalf. Yeah, uh, I don't know. And obviously, we don't know how all those, uh, those forms work, but certainly not a place you want to put yourself but yeah so now we've got we've got this group of folks with this business model uh which was already somewhat tilted in favor of management and it becomes extra (laughs) tilted when we find out that we actually paid for these people's salaries before (laughs) before they clawed them back uh a real heads i win tails you lose scenario indeed no so it's a it's an interesting place uh this story We at Above the Law have not heard of any other firms having these sorts of provisions Mm -hmm. in their their employment contracts, but it's certainly the green light that the state Supreme Court has given this sort of contract is definitely worrying for the industry, I would say. Yeah, well, one... One ray of light, I suppose, to it is that there were a number of arguments made in the case that the Supreme Court kind of hand-waved away, saying that they had not been properly raised in a timely manner below, so they didn't Mm. have to consider them. And who knows? In in, in a a different fact pattern where those could have been raised earlier, perhaps it would have been different. Among them, things like the – some of the the associates were raising, you know, you have this provision about you're going to – claw back all this money but in previous years when we didn't meet those hourly requirements you actually gave us bonuses on top of our salary uh, which tends to suggest that you're modifying that contract in that way which i think is compelling not just on a you know it's kind of like a change to the contract but it's it's extra compelling when it makes that provision seem like it really only exists for the scenario where there's a pandemic that they're screwed in and therefore they can claw back money, you know, like it makes makes it seem like it's extra arbitrary and aimed at punishing people for partnership failures on the back end. But yes, hopefully this does not become a trend. Hopefully everybody in the North Dakota market is going out of their way to tell legal talent that they're not going to make it a trend so that they can <laughs> scoop those folks up. And because one firm has kind of dropped the ball on that. It makes it harder, of course, for folks currently at the firm to leave for more welcoming firms because they might be on the receiving end of a lawsuit. Yeah, really, really problematic. But yeah, but but my whole take on it is whether or not it's legal. And it seems like, as as I said, the lawyers involved, it's it's written there, yada, yada. 
the fact that some things are legal sometimes is not the same as you should do it. Right. It's, it's, it's about shoulda, not coulda. Yeah. Uh, and, and this seems like a very high likelihood of the uh, maybe somebody should have sat down and said, hey, is it worth 30 grand or whatever across two associates for us to light, our name, light, right? light our name on fire yeah. nationally? You know, Spend all this money on litigation as well, right? Time yeah. and hours that you could be spending on billables, for example. Yeah, you know. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. So what's up with uh, Clarence Thomas? Well, a bill to have a statue to Clarence Thomas's honor is making its way through the Georgia legislature. It has passed the Senate and I believe is now going to be up for debate in the House. Uh, and if it passes there, obviously it will go for a signature um, of the governor. But there's been a bunch of controversy, as one might imagine, about the proposed statue to the second black justice on the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas. He's a native of Georgia, so that's sort of the why Georgia uh, element of it. You may not be aware of that side of bit of his history, but... Well, no, I mean, in my experience, people at Georgia exclusively drink Coca-Cola and not Pepsi. Okay. Okay. See, this is some of the controversy right there that you're hinting at. Um, Obviously, Joe's reference is... Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Joe's reference there is to some of the more um, shocking testimony from Anita Hill's uh, testimony alleging sexual sexual harassment harassment, uh, by Clarence Thomas. And there have, you know, been a number of other controversies that Thomas has courted in his time on the court since then. He doesn't have a great civil rights record. He has not recused himself despite mounting ethical concerns about his wife's advocacy work and those issues coming before the court. And so, you know, there's lots of reasons why people may not want a statue to Thomas's honor. And so that's something that is currently being discussed. 
Well, so and there's there was negative reaction from some folks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was that was the story. So, the yeah. the vote in the Senate went down exactly on party lines, and State Senator Emanuel Jones very much went for the jugular, calling Clarence Thomas an Uncle Tom for portraying his own community. So you know, definitely, definitely some harsh words uh, for the justice. Not that they necessarily had any impact since, as I said, it did pass the Senate. Did they reveal any sort of schematic or what the statue would look like? Because quite frankly, after what they did for Coretta and uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the most recent statue where like the arms <laughs> hugging looks nope. like uh, holding a very yeah. hefty penis. I'm thinking, hey, give the dude a statue. <laughs> I mean, Long Dong Silver is still alive, I believe, so could be a model that for it. could be a, a very different uh, statute. Uh, there, as far as I know, I've not seen any schematics for the proposed statue. Um, the detail that I have is that it would be um, paid for by private funds, which I guess helps a little bit. Um, <laughs> I actually just had to do the Google the, to make sure Long Dong Silver is still alive, and he is. So. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm <laughs> so, glad yeah. you weren't lying to our audience. Yeah. <laughs> Shouts out to Long Dong Silver. Yeah. So so many, and like, and like Chris, you, you would have been too young for this, but like so so many formative things happen when, you know, as a kid who watched those hearings uh, that are stuck now permanently in my brain that mm -hmm. I can't get rid of. Like, for instance, the name Long Dong Silver. Anyway. <laughs> And I, I do think it's interesting some of, you know, the controversy that has come up around the potential statue are the former host of Thinking Like a Lawyer, Ellie Mistal, was on Twitter um, <laughs> commenting on Senator Jones's words, saying that he thinks it's more complicated than just Tom, uh, Clarence Thomas is an, is an Uncle Tom, that he's an independent thinker who happens to be wrong about everything, holds a dystopian social Darwinist view of racial emancipation, none of which mean you should, of course, get a statue in your honor. Generally <laughs> And, you know, those are a lot more nuanced take that is probably harder to sell to a constituency than Uncle right, Tom. Right, 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 right. Obviously... <laughs> Obviously, Ellie's not trying to get elected to anything sure, at, this, sure. at, the, at the present <laughs> moment, yeah. which I could understand. But he is trying to get people picture. to buy his book, which you should do if you haven't done yet. Ooh, well, wow, <laughs> well done. All right, talk to me. What's, what's up next? We also did a story this week about our favorite uh, law firm, Jones Day. There we go. Yeah, so Jones Day is back. What uh, what have these people done this time? <laughs> it is it is not ne necessarily on its face political. So so you oh can, okay, <laughs> but I don't know if you've That's heard of the start. Texas. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you've heard about the Texas two step, uh, a bankruptcy proceeding maneuver that was innovated by Gregory Gordon of Jones Day, and it's when there's sort of these mass tort decisions class or actions, class yeah. actions and judgments. That's what I was actually looking ah. for. Judgments against these large multinational sort of big corporations. And without actually being insolvent, they spin off the liabilities into a separate vehicle and then declare bankruptcy of that entity while the sort of parent company remains there and able to do business. Johnson & Johnson used it as a result of their talc 
litigation. uh, And that is actually what has been under attack recently. The Third Circuit came out and was like, (laughs) not not, not so fast. (laughs) And part of the Texas two-step is that they would be refiled in North Carolina, which changes the, the burden of proof. In North Carolina, people who are objecting to the bankruptcy have to prove that it was done in bad faith, whereas in New Jersey, it's the opposite, that you have to, the party filing for bankruptcy has to prove that they are doing it in good faith. So that obviously changes the calculus considerably. So now we have at least one federal jurisdiction saying that this Texas (laughs) two-step, declaring the bankruptcy in Texas, refiling in North Carolina, which changes the burden of proof, saying that that is not okay. And you can't just cut the sort of primary jurisdiction out of the equation and that there needs to be some sort of finding of insolvency for the parent company. It somewhat makes a mockery of the concept of corporate veils, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you, it's, it's one thing to offer protection to a separate company under the Johnson and Johnson umbrella who happens to make cancer contributing chemicals, but you gotta, you know, do that before uh, you you don't get to claim that oh they're part they they roll up into our major profitable organization for years find out after they get hit with causing cancer and say oh just kidding now we're going to make them a separate corporation and therefore you can't touch the main corporation uh, like it, it it you gotta you gotta you gotta be consistent here. <laughs> One of the things I think was brilliant about the the two-step maneuver and the uh, Johnson Johnson talc asbestos issue, mm-hmm. they were saying that the people who got cancer would be benefited by this because if it was to move through bankruptcy court, that they'd be paid out quicker than if they were to get the claims in civil court. So it was interesting that they had they have some at least some facial defense to be like, hey, this is actually being done in good faith and not just a you know a quick pay less scheme. Well, yeah. I mean, certainly if they're able to make a showing of good faith, regardless of the jurisdiction, that is, you know, something that they can defend. Uh, and they have certainly said that turning these plaintiffs into creditors expedites the payment process. But given how hard the plaintiffs have been fighting across multiple different forms uh, or multiple different cases where this Texas two-step has taken place, how hard they're fighting against it, one certainly would have a side eye there. This is also what Alex Jones was trying to do Mm -hmm. with the defamation victims. He was trying to push everything into a bankruptcy vehicle and then claiming, oh, this will work out better. I'm going to fund it with this amount. But obviously, one... When you do something like that, you are setting an upper bound on what that fund is. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the real problem. They can claim all they want that this is going to go faster, but what they're really doing is artificially capping the amount of money that's going to be available, which becomes a problem. Two, the other thing that they're doing is they're buying into this absolutely disingenuous garbage that these kind of right-wing agitators who are anti Tort, torts and class actions do of claiming that the lawyers who took upon the case by, you know, put out all the money to litigate this case for multiple years to get to this point, they're owed money for that, right? They took a, bu- a huge risk. They could have ended up with nothing. They've won. They take a portion of the award. And there's this right wing movement to show up after the case has been completed and then challenge draping themselves in the just caring about the poor victims uh, and claim that 
the lawyers should be cut out and not get any money. Uh, obviously, if you put this in a bankruptcy setting, now the lawyers become creditors on the same level mm -hmm. as everyone else. And theoretically, that award could be slashed down. So this is more of an effort to make it costly on these lawyers. And, you know, on a superficial level, you think, well, the victims should get more money. In a real level, those victims would be getting exactly zero money if it weren't for these public interest law firms taking on millions of dollars worth of free work for mm -hmm. years in the hope that maybe they will end up with a share of this. So unless you want to publicly fund mass trusts, uh, not mass trusts, mass, uh, mass torts, then you have to live in a world where the lawyers are going to take some of this money. And that's another element of why this bankruptcy scheme is so objectionable. Yeah. And I think what else is interesting is that despite the sort of lip service that folks at Jones Day have been giving to, oh, this actually helps the folks who've been injured get paid faster. Um, the truth is that even despite the Third Circuit's ruling, bankruptcy commentators are saying that it still behooves companies to attempt this Texas two-step, even if other juris, you know, as they try, maybe other jurisdictions wind up adopting the same test that New Jersey did or the Third Circuit did as a result. And, you know, it's still in their benefit, not just to do the maneuver, but to fight the maneuver through the appellate process as they try to find out what is acceptable in the different, you know, appellate circuits in this country. Yeah. And of course, the sort of capper is um, how much money has Jones Day taken in as a result of the fees that they've generated in all of the Texas two-step bankruptcy filings that they have done? A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $107 million just for this this particular move. Yeah, you know. I mean, listen, I'm not against lawyers who are having innovative solutions to complex problems, which, listen, like it, don't like it, have a public policy interest against it or not. This is an innovative solution to a large problem that their clients were facing. Yeah, they, they, get, a, they get a C for clever. Um, <laughs> Cs but, get degrees. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, I would have uh, said D yeah. for devious, but I understand. Oh, that that's fair. I'd give them an F for anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that I think brings us to the conclusion of the at least the scheduled topics, unless somebody had anything else. Then in that case, uh, yeah, you should be listening to this show every week instead of maybe just this week. Hopefully you're listening all the time. But if this is your first time, you can subscribe. That way you get the welcome. new episodes. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> yeah. And that way you get new episodes when they come out. You should be giving reviews, stars, write something. All of that helps other people find the show uh, because that's how search engines work. At least for now, I guess the Supreme Court is hearing oral argument on blowing up the internet today. So maybe it won't be that way next week. But for now, you should give reviews. <laughs> you should be reading Above the Law so you can see these and more stories as they come out throughout the week. Uh, follow everybody on social media. The blog is at ATL blog. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. Chris is at Rights for Rent. You should be well, listening to the Jabot, Catherine's other podcast. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. There's a bunch of other shows from the Legal Talk Network that we aren't on, but that are also fun to check out. And I think with that, we've Peace. covered everything. So yeah, talk to everybody soon.
If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.